Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. And Colby, we're going to do something a little different today. We are, yeah. We've got uh, hopping in the time machine, going back to 2007. Carson, 2007 was, uh, let's see, I would have been 14 years old when this game was played. So I was, oh my kind gosh. Of, oh man, I was at that peak fandom. I, I think like middle school, high school, I think that is as as fanny of a fan as I've ever been in my entire life. No, I th- I'm with you, man. Like my years were the Doug Gottlieb, Desmond Mason teams. I was about 14 then. I I've always said on this show, like that's really when my fandom peaked. I, I think you're right about that. It's kind of a very, you're very innocent in that time. Uh, you don't, you don't know what kind of pain is going to be following Oklahoma state sports yet. And uh, you're riding high. So that, that's where you were. I was in college covering this game for the Daily O'Collegian, the O'Colly, the student newspaper in Stillwater. Myself and Kelly Hines were sitting on press row. She was the beat writer, going to write the game story. I was going to write the column and, uh, you know, just thought, hey, it's going to be a nice game. We're going to play Kevin Durant. Looking forward to seeing him. There's a lot of buzz about him in the NBA draft. And what we saw in 2007 was quite simply maybe the best game ever to be played in Gallagher-Ibo Arena. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts and set the stage for what what ultimately occurred and why this game still resonates. You know, 2007 to 2023, we're, we're still talking about it. It was the runaway winner uh, from fans I pulled on on uh, the Chamber on Pistols Firing blog as far as what game they wanted us to rewatch. And uh, Colby, uh, let me just read to you some of the, the, the starting lineup for each team in 2007. For Oklahoma State, you had Marcus Dove, Mario Bogan, who will loom large in this game, Terrell Harris, Byron Eaton, James on Curry, David Mons, and Tyler Hatch. Uh, Kenny Cooper was kind of out with this game with a stomach bug, played a little bit. For Texas, you have Damian James, Kevin Durant, Justin Mason, DJ Augustine, AJ Abrams, and you had some guys coming off the bench, notably Connor Atchley, who hit some big shots in this game. So first thing that sticks out to me, Colby, is just what a different level of basketball this game was and really just reading the starting lineups there Colby it's it was just a different time these guys nowadays obviously Durant couldn't because he was a freshman with the one and done rule but nowadays a lot of these guys wouldn't even still be in college because they would just jump to the NBA yeah they wouldn't still be in college and if they were they wouldn't still be on the same team and and that's what really stuck out to me as soon as I turned it on and I started to see the, these names and these faces pop up on the screen. I mean, Marcus Dove, Terrell Harris, like these guys that were around and you got used to them and you fell in love with these teams as you watched them grow together and um, don't, don't have as much of that anymore. So that's what really stuck out to me was the familiarity that I had with all these players, e- even from way back then, because uh, it was just a different game. It was a different era and it was so much fun to watch. The pace was insane. I, I found myself getting chills at, at times during this game as I was watching it on the replay. It was just, it was a blast going back and rewatching it. If you're listening to this and you haven't rewatched it yet, I recommend you carve out a couple hours and do it because it's just, it, it's fun. It's nostalgia. Uh, it, it pulls on all of the the good parts of your sports emotion. Yeah, and and what stuck out to me was, yeah, I remember it being a great game. I remember it was Kevin Durant. I of course remember that it was a triple overtime game. But rewatching it, 
what it, it really brought me back to the fact that every single time OSU started to build a lead or get, you know, some breathing room with a three, four point, five point lead, Texas would like score immediately to cut it back to a tie game or even retake the lead. It was just, it was just the the epitome of a back and forth knockdown drag out fist fight. And that's that's what stuck out to me. We're gonna go through some of the categories that we have as well. But first I wanted to read a few things from this game. Uh, Barry Trammell was in the house. Uh, he's ranked top 10 moments in Gallagher-Ibis history. He's got this game. Uh, he, lists at, he lists it at Super Mario is the headline of it. He lists this game number three in terms of basketball moments. And in terms of overall moments, he lists it at number four in the history of Gallagher-Ibis Arena. That tells you just what an epic game this was. And I think what Kevin Durant's gone on to become certainly elevates uh, the nostalgia. It certainly elevates the reverence of this game. Uh, obviously, it was a showdown between Mario Bogan and Kevin Durant. They each scored 37 points. Um, the quote that I had from Sean Sutton was talking about, well, I had it pulled up here a second, but he basically called it the greatest performance he's ever seen in Gallagher Iba Arena. And that was Kevin Durant on the losing side of things, and Mario Bogan topped him. Uh, did you get a little nostalgic, uh, Colby, watching Kevin Durant? Because not much has changed, you know, however many years on later we are now watching him in the NBA. It was very much that same style of his, that that smooth game, those pull-up jumpers that he's just so tall you can't stop it. It was almost like we went back in time, Colby, but it's almost like what we still watch today when we watch Kevin Durant. Yeah, his game was eerily similar. His body, I mean, he was smaller back then. He has put on some weight in the NBA. He's still a more slender guy, but he's put on some weight. So he was smaller, but the game was the same. The The stroke was smooth. Uh, the length was unbelievable. I mean, o Oklahoma State was doubling early. And you could tell, like, Mario Bogan had a great game, right? He was unbelievable. But you could tell that Kevin Durant was, was built different in terms of, okay, this guy is going to make half a billion dollars playing basketball. Like you could kind of tell that back then, obviously uh, ends up being the number two pick in the draft, which was great for the local team for a while, about eight, nine seasons. Um, but yeah, it, it was fun to watch him back in the day. Um, you know, you turn it on and you see what ended up being a thunder legend playing for the university of Texas. So it was weird having him on the other side. Uh, I'm talking about DJ Augustine, of course, who was great in this game with 19 points. Yeah, <laughs> he was great. I mean, uh, you think about college basketball, and again, Augustine was a freshman too, so he had to stay one, at least one year. But when I mean, you talk about like NBA Jam teams from college basketball history, Augustine and Durant got to be way up there. He was an awesome, awesome player as well. But the quote I had from uh, Sean Sutton after this game, he said, quote, the best performance I've ever seen was Bryant Reeves, 33 points and 20 rebounds against Kansas in 1995. I thought Mario topped that tonight. For him to step up and hit the game winner was a big night for him. Mario Bogan really outdueled Kevin, uh, hit the the, the, three, the game winning three point shot. Uh, Mario Bogan had a, an interesting career. He was a junior college transfer. Uh, was was a really good player at Oklahoma State. But Colby, he he went to a completely different level in this game with thirty seven and twenty, and really, it looked like they were going to lose, and he just kind of pulled it out with a, a, a kind of a circus style shot. Yeah, and it's not just that he was incredible. It's the way he did it with no Marcus Dove, no Byron Eton for all three overtimes. I mean, those are two of your starters. He only played eight guys in this game, and Kenneth Cooper played six minutes. So the, the lineup that you had out on the floor, and Dave was talking about it. Um, did you watch the same replay I did on YouTube, the one that has Hans Eicher over it? 
Yeah, we didn't get any like ESPN. It was the it was the call with Dave Hunzacker and Tom Dorado, which was really an, an awesome treat. It made it even more nostalgic. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But the the five that closed the game, Bogan, Harris, Curry, Mons, and Hatch, those guys were in there from the moment Byron Eton fouled out, which was with 220 left in the game. Um, those guys played all three overtimes together, never came off the floor after Byron Eton fouled out. And Mario Bogan had to put the team on his back, and he did. He had some help from James on. Uh, he had some help from Terrell Harris, hit a big three in one of those overtimes. But, uh, yeah, Mario Bogan put the team on his back in those overtimes, and they just they don't win that game unless he goes pretty much full superhero mode late. And that's what he did. Yep. He certainly did. And uh, we'll, we'll go through the categories and I have a lot of thoughts obviously on this game. And and one thing I didn't really realize was, and maybe, you know, you were only 14, so your memory is probably worse than mine, but I had completely forgotten that James on Curry played in this game. Uh, for some reason, I always associate him with that final four team. And he did play on that final four team and, and even that elite eight team the next year. I thought his last game was against just in my memory banks was that game they lost to um, Arizona in the Sweet 16 to go to the Elite Eight. I thought that was his last game. I I don't know about you, but I I completely forgot James on Curry was in this game and he was he played a big role as well. Yeah, I forgot that James on was in this game too. I, I my memories were more of the moments and the moments were Mario Bogan and Byron Eaton with the with the half court E running out of bounds. So James on didn't have a moment, but James on had a game, man. Twenty eight on eighteen shots. Oh, buddy, he was cooking. Yeah, I've, I have a lot more thoughts on him on in one of our categories. But so let's let's get to the categories, Colby. Let's start with the most rewatchable sequence and in a triple overtime game that you know spent fifty five minutes on the court and you know two hours on YouTube. There's a lot of moments. There's a lot of rewatchable sequences. I'll kind of run through some and then we can kind of discuss which one we would pick. Obviously, the the one that probably will win this is Kevin Durant gets an and one to take the lead with just a few seconds left, which leads to the Mario Bogan game winner. And then A.J. Abrams has a double dribble with 0.2 seconds left on the clock, which is essentially ends the game. Uh, you mentioned it. Byron Eton has this absolutely – Byron Eton just – something about the guy just – he just did some crazy things on the floor, whether it was his charges he would take and slide 10 feet to the his circus shots at the rim. He just – he had a knack for making weird, good plays, and this was probably the best one he ever had where the ball's falling out of bounds near midcourt. He just grabs it with his back to the basket, turns around and throws it up in the air as he falls out of bounds and makes it. And that really was kind of a, a moment where things got ignited. Um, so that that's one as well. We can talk more in depth once I get through these. Uh, Mario Bogan at one point had a uh, reverse layup that sent the crowd going nuts. Dave Hunzacker was going nuts. Uh, the Tyler Hatch and one where David Mons hugs him. Uh, those are some of the moments I had, Colby. What did you have? Uh, the Tyler Hatch and none, by the way. He, he bricked the free throw. That was unfortunate. Uh, but no, he played great. Um, oh, I have a note on that. That's a that's a coaching uh, mishap. That's in, that's, in, okay. that's in another category. Very nice. Yeah, no, the the two memories that stuck out for me were, were the two shots, Bogan uh, and then Eton. But Byron Eton, Carson, I think he's kind of like uh, watching Byron Eton play basketball was like watching Jordan Spieth play golf. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You have yes. no idea what's going to happen, but it's going to be exciting 
and you better not look away because as soon as you do, he's going to do something incredible or something dumbfounding, and there's very little in between. What I didn't remember about Byron Eaton uh, in this game was after he made the shot running into the sideline, very next possession, he came he comes down like full sprint. He's feeling himself. Uh, first three that he's made of the game is launched in from 40 feet, and he's like, you know what? I'm Byron Eaton. I'm going to pull and pop on a long two from the elbow like 19 feet away and throw it off the backboard uh, as hard as I can. It's just <laughs> – he was so much fun to watch because of the unpredictability of it. And I, I found that in this game again, too. And it was unfortunate he ended up fouling out uh, and wasn't around in the overtimes. But who knows the, the butterfly effect, how that impacts what happens. Maybe we don't wind up with the greatest game ever played in gallagher Iba, or at least one of them. So uh, Byron Eton, so, so much fun. You just never knew what was going to happen. Yeah, and I, I think he's an underrated player. His numbers aren't incredible. His last year, he averaged 14 a game, uh, 11, 7, and 7 throughout his four years. But um, really good college player. I mean, really good college point guard. And I think him fouling out Colby kind of that was a huge impact on this game, obviously, but more so just on how the game played out. That's that's kind of one of my what ifs as well. But uh, it's got to be the it's got to be the Mario Bogan game winner, doesn't it? And I think when you rewatch this, Colby, what sticks out is Oklahoma State's lack of getting a good look at the end of regulation in every single overtime leading up to that. That's one of uh, the notes I had as well was just for some reason, whether it was Texas going uh, full pressure, their their pressure gave Oklahoma State fits without Byron Eaton on the floor. Uh, one, they got a ton of easy buckets going the other way on fast breaks. But two, they really limited Oklahoma State to, to run a play because they didn't have their point guard out there. James on Curry essentially was running the point. And finally, in the third overtime, Mario Bogan was – Again, running out of options, didn't quite know where to go, and he just said, "F it, I'm going to turn around, do a spin, and 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 just launch it up there," and it went in. But the, but the fact that it came right after Kevin Durant getting an and one, and Texas finally regained the lead, looked like they had won the game, uh, was pretty incredible sequence to finish the game. Yeah, because Texas was chasing really, I mean, late in regulation, they were chasing. They were down by five with less than a minute left. Kevin Durant, three. DJ Augustine, three. Boom. We're right back in it. We got a game. Uh, and then they were chasing in the overtimes, and they just wouldn't go away. And then you finally felt like in triple overtime, you had them. You're up by two. You just need a stop. You get the stop. And then who's there on the rebound? Kevin Durant puts it up and in and one. Of course, he makes the free throw because he's Kevin Durant. So you're coming down now and... I mean, this is win or lose. You're down by a point. Mario Bogan's got to get it done. What I didn't remember about this game and what shocked me was the ball handling by Bogan to get himself into the shot. I don't know why, you know, your, your memory distorts things over time. I had this memory of him, like, standing out on the wing and somebody kicking it to him and, and shooting up this crazy shot. No, no, no. He brought it across half court when they were struggling getting it into the front court against the pressure. He went behind the back with DJ Augustine on him, dribbled behind the back, put a spin move on him, kind of – Pump faked toward the baseline like he was going to keep going, passing, steps back, boom. I, I couldn't believe how quickly it all transpired and that Mario Bogan uh, was out there dribbling like Steph Curry, and, and then he pulls up and shoots the only three that he made in the game. That moment is just – it's an all-time great moment in Oklahoma State basketball history, and uh, Mario Bogan will always have that. I mean, that moment will be – it's just one of those that's hard to top. I'm, I'm trying to think of other moments like it, but it is very unique just in the way it all played out, the way it happened – the superstar on the other side who you outduel. It just, it was a cool moment. Uh, and it was as cool rewatching it as, as I thought it would be. It, it exceeded my expectations on the rewatch. Yeah. The olds will probably bring up half court Hainan, uh, the half court shot by him and Gallagher. Iba. obviously big country hitting the half court shot against Missouri. I think Bogans is right in between those two. Uh, maybe even, maybe even surpass it when you consider the game was a triple overtime thriller with Durant. 
But uh, I was able to dive into the Daily Ocali uh, archives. I found my column from that night and a large portion of my column. And I'm going to put a, a picture of it on the tweet to this this podcast so people haven't seen it. They can they can read it. I think my column held up pretty decently, but a big part of it was about Bogan's game winner. And I have a quote from uh, Rick Barnes. He says, quote, I'm not sure that Bogan saw the basket. If he does it tomorrow, I bet he doesn't make one out of ten. <laughs> and then uh, – Oh, it's uh, Barnes also says the one Byron Eaton threw up. I know he wouldn't make it one out of 10 <laughs> talking about the half court shot. So Rick Barnes was a little salty afterwards with the, his fortune, but uh, no, I, I think the circumstance, the shot it's, it's definitely up there. And that's, that's probably the biggest reason we're, we're rewatching this one. Uh, a couple others that I, I wrote down here or, or one other I wrote down was there was a sequence early in the game. I don't know if you remember watching it, Colby uh, Terrell Harris does a full on like, baseball slash NFL full court one arm heave and falls down while doing it to Byron Eaton running down the court who does a behind the back pass to Mario Bogan for the slam place goes absolutely insane. Uh, that was on my list as well. And most rewatchable. Uh, yeah, that was an underrated play in that game. I had that one noted as well. And and I talked earlier about the familiarity of teams and these guys played together for years at a time. I mean, those are guys that have spent time playing basketball together. Terrell Harris throwing that down the court to Byron Eaton. And Byron Eaton, the the quickness with which he took the ball and just slung it. I think it was lefty, too. I think he went lefty behind the back. And Mario Bogan was just right there streaking down the lane, grabs it, throws it down the roof, comes off Gallagher. I, I really, watching this game in regulation, I, I didn't think this felt like a triple overtime game. I thought this felt like an Oklahoma State pulls away and wins by four, five, or six at the end of regulation uh, and, and probably would have if not for a couple of hero shots late uh, from Kevin Durant and DJ Augustine. So that was a, a very cool play and just emblematic of guys who'd played a lot of basketball together, knew where they were going to be. But for Eton to just grab that, have eyes in the back of his head and sling it back to Bogan, that was an incredible moment early in the game outside of just the two big shots. Yeah, I mean, um, Terrell Harris is another player that kind of stood out to me in this game. He didn't have a huge game, but he still had 16 points, two of five from three. Played solid defense, seven rebounds. Uh, I have this kind of in what's age the best, and we'll we'll get to that later. But um, in terms of Sean Sutton's recruiting, we'll we'll touch on that in, a, in a, just a sec as we get to what's age the best. I, so we're going with Bogan, right? Is the most rewatchable sequence the game winner? Got to be right. Yeah, the end of game, the game winner. That's what I put. You got the and one on the other end. The initial shot misses your 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 stomach, your heart. You rise up with that hope that you're going to get the rebound, shoot free throws, and win it. KD gets it. Your stomach sinks. It's like you've got to be kidding me. How did this just happen? Only to, only to Oklahoma State would it happen this way. Uh, and then Mario Bogan does it at the other end. That's yeah. I, I rewinded. <laughs> I, I watched that segment back. Six or seven times, probably. Yeah, it was so good. Uh, what's age the best? I, I wanted to touch on this in the last segment, but let's just do it here. Uh, Gallagher Iba Arena. I mean, I, again, I was in college during this period. Certainly was there uh, during the Final Four run. It's it was kind of sad for me, Cole. I don't know about you rewatching it. Just the the level of rowdy and volume coming from that building when it is full is it's just it's hard to explain and it's hard to top i mean i grew up with gallagher being cameron indoor of the west and like for instance when a, an official makes a horrible call and back-to-back stretches you can just feel the crowd coming off this scratchy 2007 youtube clip and when they open this game on youtube and you see the place just packed uh to the rafters it was just a 
solid reminder. And it, it's kind of made me sad that it really hasn't been like that really since this game. And just watching this game, the way it played out, the way the crowd is just completely into it through three overtimes uh, during a weeknight, even uh, just shows you just what this building is and how special it can be when it's full. Yeah, I think that that I noticed that too. Just how unbelievable uh, the atmosphere was. I think that that's emblematic of a couple of things. Number one, where Oklahoma State basketball was versus where Oklahoma State basketball is. But it's not just Oklahoma State basketball. I think it's also college basketball. It's also to an extent the world. You know, things have changed. Back in two thousand seven, yeah, people were a lot more willing to get in the car, drive an hour from Tulsa, an hour from Oklahoma City, go to Stillwater on a Tuesday night, and watch a basketball game. Now, I mean. We've got every bit of entertainment at our fingertips. We've got 14 different streaming sites. We're all watching 27 different shows at the same time. We're doing all that in between trying to take care of the kids and uh, do this, that, and the other. And, and there's just more things pulling our direction in every which way. And college basketball on a Tuesday night, especially the weeknight games, that's the, a thing that a lot of fans have just cut out. And that's not exclusive to Oklahoma State. That's happened at a lot of places around the country, except for, you know, just a handful of the bluest of blue bloods at the top of college basketball. But other than that, most places, you're not filling it up on a weeknight, uh, maybe on a weekend for a big game, but it's just – it's very different. College basketball is very different. The world is very different. And I was taken aback by Gallagher and just how amazing it was. Uh, Carson, my aged best that I had on my sheet, I had the Eton shot as aged best because in my memory as a 14 year old, I remember that being just so beyond cool. And this iconic moment that I, you just will never forget in your life. And then rewatching it, it just lived up to and exceeded the memory of it. Uh, Dave, his reaction on the broadcast was unbelievable. <laughs> Proud, uh, the, 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 his teammates. I mean, you got Marcus Dove in the background. You got Terrell Harris in the background and it was a wasted possession. It was great defense from Texas. It was a wasted possession in which they threw the ball away. They were kind of slumping their shoulders. Byron Eaton throws that up. Marcus Dove and Terrell Harris turn to watch it. It goes in and it's like, they didn't know how to react. Their arms kind of go up and they kind of start looking around and then they're Jogging back on defense, it was just, uh, it was such a cool moment, and I, I rewinded that one and watched it over and over again as well because it was just, it was too cool, and it, it very much uh, lived up to the memory of how epic it was. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm glad you made a note of that too because in the following sequence, like this is what makes Gallagher Iba so special. Like the crowd, when something like that happens, it like almost like locks in the crowd gets locked in and there's like a laser focus and they, everyone kind of hunkers down it's like okay we're gonna make a run right here because they got a couple stops immediately after that and I, I don't think that's a coincidence you can see the defense fed off the crowd energy as well and that's what made the play so special and so hard to win i referenced the stat uh about a month or two ago about when when eddie sutton finally lost his first non-conference home game in so many years that's why like it was a very educated crowd and the crowd and that built, there's just something special about that building when they go on a run there's nothing. I've been in a lot of buildings, a lot of arenas, and there's just nothing like it. Um, that, that certainly was a moment that kind of started swinging the momentum back in Oklahoma state's favor. Yeah, Real, real quick too, before we get off the shot, I don't think that I remembered how important the shot was in the game. This was kind of early second half, uh, early to mid second half. And I don't know if you clocked the score when Eton made that shot, Oklahoma State was down by seven, and they were reeling just a little bit. 
And I'm telling you, if, if he just chucks up an air ball and it's a wasted possession and Texas feels good about themselves because they just played 30 great seconds of defense, they're up by seven. If they go down and score on the other end, I mean, we're talking about a lead that could have ballooned here for Texas and the miracle shot from Byron Eaton shut it down and Oklahoma State went on a run and ended up taking the lead shortly thereafter after being down seven. So the importance of the shot, I think, was something that I had forgotten about and probably uh, didn't give enough credit to. No, that's a good point because – you're right. I mean, you just look at these teams on paper with Durant and Augustine and Abrams was a heck of a three-point shooter coming into this game. Mason, solid player. Damian James played forever at Texas. Uh, this was this was a really good Texas team. Uh, they were kind of disappointing at this point. They were ranked 21st in the country in this game. They already had four losses, whereas Oklahoma State was ranked 12th. Uh, I kind of remember this game being a bigger upset than that. Of course, Texas uh, ended up having a better season than Oklahoma State, but, but nonetheless, that's an important note. That really stemmed the tide. Uh, what else is age the best? I got to go with Kevin Durant. I mean, we all knew in the moment how special the guy was. But I feel like Colby, in the arena that night, all of us in attendance, I'm sure all of you watching at home, kind of were like making a mental note. Like, I'm about to watch this guy for the next 20 years in the NBA. Like, <laughs> we've never seen a dude who's 6'10". Uh, he's basically almost 7 feet. He, he likes to underrate how tall he is. We've never seen a dude at his height handle the ball like a point guard and shoot it like a shooting guard. And watching him in this game, it was like, it's like we went back in time, but Kevin stayed the same in terms of his basketball skill. It was just a marvel to watch. Yeah, it was. And and I know that things ended bitterly and a lot of people still have a lot of feelings toward Kevin Durant. Um, it was cool that that guy wound up in Oklahoma city for nearly a decade and watching him back in college reminded me of how, just what a pure basketball player he was. And just, it was an innocent Kevin Durant. And it, it did make me feel a little something uh, positive toward Kevin Durant. Just remembering what he was when he was young, before he, you know, woke up on July 5th and, and asked his agent why he let him bleep his life up. You know, I, I just, he was so innocent. He was so cool. He ends up coming back a few years later, uh, whenever I'm at Oklahoma state in 2011 and, and he's down there playing flag football in Stillwater, like, Kevin Durant was just an innocent kid who loved basketball and, you know, the decision to go to Golden State, it it ruined his legacy. And I, I think we can see from the way he acted uh, for the several years after that, it, it kind of ruined him for a little bit. And, and the happiness that he thought he was seeking through rings, it, it wasn't the happiness that he thought he wanted. And, and that really resided in Oklahoma City. And uh, his his legacy is complicated, but watching this game back, reminded me of a time whenever Kevin Durant was beloved and innocent and just a, a fun kid who loved basketball. And that part of it was fun to watch. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, a couple more things that aged the best for me, and you can offer any as well, Colby. Uh, James on Curry, uh, obviously a great player in Oklahoma State history, was on some really good teams. I think he's one of those guys, Colby, that if he had just been born 10 years later, he's just a perfect fit for the modern NBA. But back then, uh, you know, he could handle it. Again, he played point guard pretty much as soon as the rest of the game after Byron Eaton fouled out, but he can also shoot it. His his shooting form is like out of a textbook. And had he been born a little later, Colby, I just think he's the perfect fit for the modern NBA. He still got drafted by the Chicago Bulls, but still he's just he's just one of those guys that he just flew off the screen to me of just what an immense talent he was. And just man, I just it would have been fun to watch him in today's NBA. 
Yeah, it would have been. He he was more built for today's uh, today's game. Uh, I'm looking here at some other things that age the best. I, I don't know. I've got some. I've got some things that age the worst. Are we ready to go to worst? Because well, gotta... real quick, uh, one last thing that aged the best. My column in the Ocali. Yeah. Why do I say that? Because in the in the second paragraph, I say Tuesday night's thriller against Texas is going went from ESPN two directly to ESPN Classic, and this this game was played on a Tuesday. It aired on Thursday on ESPN Classic. So my column aged really well. Aged it aged great within a day. That is incredible. Well done, College Carson. Well done. Uh, that was a pretty easy call. I mean, let's face it, triple overtime game. Uh, pretty pretty un- pretty remarkable. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's go to what's aged the worst. What do you got? Uh, my first one, and we talked about this a little bit off the top. Uh, my first one is just college basketball. Uh, college basketball isn't what it used to be. I texted you the other day whenever I was rewatching this game, and I said, this is awesome. I, I'm so locked in. I don't think college basketball will ever be this again. And college basketball, just when I was growing up, I remember it holding a place in my heart uh, and some of the epic, epic moments. Now, part of that was probably because Oklahoma State was on top for a while under Eddie and then still moments like this under Sean. Um, and there have been good teams since. There have been moments since. Uh, you know, the, the Smart Nash Brown years had moments. The Cade year had moments. But what college basketball used to be where guys played a few years together, they got really good. You got to know them. You got to love them. Uh, they were able to be coached. It, it's just college sports found itself Carson in a situation where the athletes were being exploited and they needed to be able to profit off their name image likeness. And no, I didn't think it was fair that coaches could commit to players and then just up and leave. But if players committed to coaches, they couldn't up and leave and go do what was better for them. So it's, it's hard for me to rationalize all these things because I I'm on both sides of it. I, I liked college sports better whenever I was an innocent kid and I didn't have to worry about all these other things. Um, now, I do worry about all these other things, and I think that the players are better off for it, but I think the sport itself, the entertainment product, all that stuff is probably worse off for it. So um, I, I know that I, I, that's probably a convoluted way of saying that college basketball just is not what it used to be. Totally agree. It's why I picked so many upsets this year in the NCAA tournament uh, because of what you mentioned. You know, there's – there's no longer juniors and senior-laden teams, really, and the transfer portals made it a completely different animal altogether. But just go back to this game, all the upperclassmen playing. I always go back to the Final Four team that Oklahoma State had. Their entire roster that played were seniors, pretty much. Uh, just that's the biggest reason college basketball isn't the same because those guys are in the NBA if they're any good at all, or they are, they're at least playing overseas and making money after their freshman year. And I think that's severely, severely impacted what what made college basketball great. What made college basketball great was, I mean, we can go even further back. You got you got Patrick Ewing playing at Georgetown into his senior year. Uh, you know that just that just cannot will not happen anymore to the detriment of college basketball. Uh, what's age the worst for me? The baggy shorts. I mean, Eton's Eton's dragging around the his ankles pretty much. <laughs> I know that was kind of the look back then, but they're like jarringly baggy. The, the fashion for me, Colby, the the headbands that LeBron made cool for a hot minute were were everywhere. Uh, the cutoff sleeves, you know, Tyler Hatch, who I'll mention on this show m- many times, had like the cutoff t shirt. Remember people cutting off the sleeves of their t shirt and wearing that as an undershirt? Very uh, and one mixtape era look. Uh, the the fashion for me aged pretty bad. Carson, I am going to reserve my thoughts for later in this podcast on the fashion. I've got oh. like a full, I've got a full monologue. I've got a okay. list. 
How about uh, how about officiating? Um, I, I struggle whether this is age the worst or age the best because the officiating to me, Colby, looked the exact same. I think if people are listening to this and they queue it up, they don't have to wait long for some officiating blunders where OSU again is getting and this this happened like this year, Colby, where OSU is getting hit over the head with a steel chair driving to the rim, and then no, and and they don't call it, and then they call a touch foul at the other end on OSU. It's just oh, the officiating was hard to watch. It was, and yet I was somehow left thinking that it was still better back then than it is now, because especially I thought in the first half, in the second half, I thought they maybe got a little more whistle happy, but I did think that it was a more physical game that they were allowed to play. There was some flow to it and the pace you could play at that pace because they weren't stopping it every 12 seconds to blow the whistle. The game is so over officiated now. I think it was then too, but I, I still think it was a little bit better back then for whatever reason. I Whoa. Now that you mention it, you know, Marcus Dove and Byron Eton, you mentioned only two players to foul out for Oklahoma state, despite a 55 minute game, the triple overtime. And only Damian James, who fouled out in overtime, fouled out for Texas. So you, I think you, I think you just swayed me, Colby. I think they let him play quite a bit, even though there's some moments where Gallagher started spitting some venom. Yeah, it's it's the contrast of I think that they let them play a little bit more, which is why I preferred that to what we see now today. But I also still think that there were some calls that they got egregiously wrong. So it's it's one of those things. Better, still bad. Yeah, I mean, how many people would foul out in today's college basketball if they played three overtimes? Oh my God, five on each team? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I got, I got to agree with that. How about uh, the coaching? I think to me, Colby, this, this just flew off the screen. How poor the coaching was from from Rick Barnes and Sean Sutton. I mean, I'll I'll start with with Rick Barnes, who played AJ Abrams fifty five minutes. And guess what? In the moment of truth, Abrams is the last guy from Texas to touch the ball, and he double dribbles. Could that be because he played every single minute of the game? I mean, that was horrible. The fact that he didn't get Kevin Durant 60 points in a triple overtime game, didn't run more offense for him, was terrible. Uh, for, for Sean Sutton, for me, Colby, the transition defense was abominable. Texas got so many easy ba- uh, baskets, and they never really recovered. But most egregious to me, Colby, was the last second shots at the end of regulation and overtimes. OSU had no plan, no play. The first one, James on Curry just kind of dribbling around. Everyone's standing there. Mario Bogan's got flames coming off him. He's not even interested in getting the ball. But the biggest blunder was the Tyler Hatch and one. He he make his only bucket of the game. He he shoots the free throw, and as soon as it's released, Sean Sutton calls timeout. And Mario Bogan gets the rebound and scores, but they don't count. The, it cost them literally three points, pretty much. Um, and Sutton, I have it in my column notes, actually. Uh, just before Bogan's layup, Sutton called a timeout, which erased the two points and gave the pokes the ball out of bounds. I told Tyler if he made the free throw, I want a timeout. I thought Bogan was going to be in trouble or a position where he'd be in trouble. I reacted and called timeout. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great decision. Cost us three points. So the coaching in this game was was not great, Colby. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll agree with you on that, especially the timeout. It's again, I know what Sean Sutton was thinking there, but man, it, you can't predetermine that decision. That decision can't be predetermined. You have to let it play out. Be ready to call the timeout, but don't just call it regardless of what happens. Um, so that was pretty tough. How about this? Age the worst. A little bit of shot selection, Carson. 
Long twos, long twos were a very real thing in 2007. I was blown away by how many of them were taken. I was blown away by how many guys had the green light from 19. <laughs> it was unbelievable to watch guys consistently shoot long jumper jumpers one step inside the line. No, you're so right. There was a moment where Dave and, and Dorado, they mentioned you know, they at one point Texas had uh, Durant and Augustine kind of isolated on one side of the court where they could run their two man game, which they ran a lot. And Augustine, before he even like accepts a screen from Durant or even looks his general way, just heaves it from like just inside the three point line, clang off the backboard first. That that, that stuck out to me, and all the Byron Eaton long twos as well. But but you're right; it, it kind of illustrates just how much basketball has changed analytically it's now threes and layups in the nba and that's trickled down to to college hoops that's a really good note uh, any more any more what's age of the worst i think that's all my age of the worst how about the the floor uh, i mean, i remember the the floor was busy i remember the giant o state logo at midcourt i certainly remembered eddie's gigantic signature they've they've now reduced but most importantly i remembered it and it's even worse than i remembered the paint, the uh, the lane, it goes from this like orange and like fades to black. And if that's not enough, they put a brand on it too. The floor, Colby, and then you've got the alarm clock lettering on each end. That floor was aging terribly in 2007. It aged terribly in 2023. I did notice how abysmal the floor was. It was terrible. Uh, speaking of the paint, did you notice what was missing from the paint? Um, missing from the paint. No, I did not. No restricted area. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice it. I watched, uh, I watched a decent chunk of the game before somebody just slid underneath a driver and took a charge right underneath the basket. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, this was pre-restricted area. You could just slide in right underneath the goal. Uh, if somebody's coming in and take a charge way late. And there were a couple of those in this game. The the restricted area has been, I think, a very good change for basketball. No, I, I agree with you there. Uh, how about uh, greatest what if? What was some of your greatest what ifs after rewatching this? Yeah, one that I wrote down here, and, and this is just more of a feeling for me because uh, I really was taken aback by what Gallagher Iba was in this game and what this crowd was. Um, and one thing I wrote down was, what if the Thunder never came? How would that have impacted college basketball? Would Whoa. We're right. I went macro. Uh, I, I, you were probably expecting something. Great, no, no, no. I, I love it. Tell me more. I just, if the Thunder never came, I really don't know. Like, does, does the evolution of society, uh, the fact that Oklahoma State wasn't going to continue to be great forever at basketball, and, you know, we've got, like I said, all these entertainment options and everybody's just busier in life, it seems like, than we've ever been. Um, I, I just don't know what the domino effect could have been that could have kept Gallagher-Iba and Oklahoma State basketball, what it was uh, under Eddie Sutton and then to an extension under Sean Sutton. I, I even have here too, like, what if the football program never became what the football program became? Because Oklahoma State basketball fans in the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, they lived and died on basketball because, God, we were glad the fall was over. And now you're packing out Boone Pickens Stadium six times a year. Uh, people are going up there. They're spending their money on football tickets instead of basketball tickets. I, I think that the Thunder coming to town and Oklahoma State football ascending to the level that it did just a few years after this game was played contributed to the drop-off in basketball uh, excitement, attendance, and then ultimately recruiting and performance. So uh, that's pretty macro, and then that's definitely domino effect, butterfly effect, all that good stuff. Uh, but I, I just – 
if things played out differently, I'm curious to see how it would have impacted Oklahoma State basketball. No, that's a great question. I, I do think if the Thunder weren't here, that the Heat would have been on OSU as a whole to be better at men's basketball than they've been in the last 20 years. I, I really believe that. Um, but that's a, that's those are, those are two really good ones I hadn't thought about. Um, I'm I'm more micro. Do you know who was going to come in the game if Terrell Harris had fouled out? Oh man, this is a great uh, trivia question. This is an unbelievable trivia question. Trivia question: Was it was it a young guy who ended up becoming a good player? Nope, it's a guy who played football. Oh God, um, hit me. I don't know. Adarius Bowman. Oh, Adarius Bowman was the next man up. Do you do you remember Adarius Bowman walked onto the onto the uh, basketball team because they were so short on bodies. He actually played the week before the game before they went, remember they went up to they went to Lawrence Kansas my first trip ever to Fog Allen two top 10 ranked teams and OSU just gets annihilated they scored like 57 points lost by 30 and Bowman played at the end of the game and and looked kind of silly doing so and Sean kind of like apologized to him about throwing him in <laughs> against Kansas but had Terrell Harris fouled out Adarius Bowman would have taken the court they would have had Tyler Hatch on the floor along with Adarius Bowman uh, that is incredible. I so wish that that would have happened if we could have still gotten the result, uh, cause it would have just been fun to see his name in the box score. Shout out to Adarius Bowman. Great career in Canada. Won their man of the oh, year. Yeah. Doing great stuff with the youth. Adarius Bowman, underrated name in Oklahoma state history. Yeah. He's kind of like the, uh, he was this era's RW McCorders and Alonzo Mays, the football players who came out for the basketball team. So a little, a little trivia note there. I, I have two more, uh, one, what, the greatest what if is what could this season could have been and and what what the greatest what if to me is what happened afterwards because they win this game they proceed colby to lose 9 of 13 and the what if for me was obviously they could hang with the likes of kevin durant and dj augustine who ended up making the tournament but the way this season just derailed and the way osu basketball derailed as a result in the years prior years after it's just how can a team play this well without their point guard? Again, they did not have Byron Eaton for a, for pretty much the entirety of the last two minutes of regulation and all the overtimes. Uh, it's kind of a, a what if for me. What and, and it, it kind of ties in a what if on Sean Sutton's career. Uh, this is not a joking matter. I mean, what if Sean doesn't have substance abuse problems? I think he was an amazing assistant coach under Eddie on those Final Four teams. Eddie constantly gave him credit for all the plays he would draw up. Uh, he, I think this game shows you what an excellent recruiter he was. You know, Terrell Harris played in the NBA. Eton, great player. All the players in this game were were excellent. He got a lot of dudes recruiting. So the two what ifs for me is what what if Sean stays clean and and becomes the coach that his father thought he could be? Because uh, I do think he would have been had he not had those issues. And and what happened to this team, Cole? Because again, they were ranked in the top ten after this game, and they lost nine of thirteen. Yeah, those are really good. I, I didn't have the uh, note about Sean down, but that's a good one. I did have 9 of 13 written down here. Carson, Oklahoma State, after beating Texas in this game, this game was played on January 16th. So you're just a few games into conference. This game moved Oklahoma State to 16-2 and two on the year, 2-1 and one in conference play. Oklahoma State finished the season 22-12, and 12, meaning they went, what, 6-10 and 10 down the stretch? They went four and nine their last 13 conference games. This team finished six and 10 in conference. Um, didn't make the tournament. Like, 
this ended up not being a very good basketball team. And that was something that I didn't really remember until I went back and looked it up. I'm like, how'd this season finish up? Like this team's fun. And I went and looked, I'm like, Whoa, if you kept watching after this game, you were surprised at a lot of things you saw. They went out uh, four days later, granted you, you play 55 minutes, you know, four days later, get skunked by Texas A&M only score 49 points. Um, lose, lose to Oklahoma a couple of weeks later. Like it just, it all started going kind of poorly after this game, but uh, we've always got this one. Yep, that's those are some great what ifs. How about we move to the Caesar Guerrero Award, which is given to the biggest heat check by a player. Again, these categories kind of mimic uh, the Rewatchables podcast with Bill Simmons. I think they had the Dion Waiters Award for the biggest heat check. We got the Caesar Guerrero Award uh, in his honor because he had the all-time heat check game in one game, and then we never heard from him again. <laughs> but uh, the candidates, you got Mario Bogan. Obviously, you got Kevin Durant. Uh, honorable mention to me for James on Curry for trying to hit that ridiculous shot to end regulation while you got Mario Bogan just standing around. <laughs> but uh, it's got to be either Bogan or Durant, does it not? So this is actually fun because I misinterpreted the category. So we're going to have different answers because I answered for a different category. I wrote down basically what was the most memorable heat check that I saw in this particular game. The most memorable just guy thinks he's on fire and comes down and hoists one up. And for me, I mentioned it earlier. It was Byron Eaton. He makes the shot falling out of bounds. And all of a sudden, in his mind, he's on fire. He's on fire. He just hit a three. He comes down. Carson, he came down so fast the next possession and pulled and popped long two from the top of the circle, a little bit off to the elbow, like 18 feet. And it just smoked the backboard, goes off the side of the rim. Texas pulls down the rebound. I'm like hitting the falling out of bounds shot and then thinking that that warrants the pull-up 18-footer at full speed that, that clanks off the backboard on the next possession. Uh, that's how I answered this category, and I gave it to Byron Eaton. Yeah, I even misinterpreted the award myself, but that's a good one. It's supposed to go to a guy who's like more of a a role player, not a Durant or a Bogan. Uh, guys that come to mind, let's see. <laughs> David Mons in a bad way. He went 3 of 10, just kept just kept putting them up. <laughs> kept missing, but he was gonna get his he was gonna get his shots up. That's a good one. Uh AJ Abrams is kind of the antithesis of this award. He went two of 14, two of eight from uh three. So uh but we'll go with Eton. Eton gets the uh Eton was very he was a kindred spirit of Caesar Guerrero in terms of just ball getting his hands, it gets in his hands, it's going up. Uh central I renamed this award too for coaching screw up of the game. Uh, I'm calling this the Central Michigan Coaching Screw-Up Award. Uh, shout out to Mike Gundy for the Central Michigan debacle. Again, he can claim he knew what he was doing the whole time. He did not know the rule when he had Mason Rudolph throw it out of bounds. Uh, let's go with um, some of my candidates I threw out there, Colby. Uh, OSU's quote-unquote plays they ran for a game-winning bucket. Again, just fly off the screen. The lack of movement, the lack of any seemingly plan. Certainly the lack of Eton played a role in that. Uh, the Sutton timeout I mentioned transition defense I mentioned and perhaps for me maybe my winner Colby is AJ Abrams again playing 55 minutes in this game I understand it Rick Barnes but you got a bigger bench than Oklahoma State and he ultimately had the biggest screw up of the game when he doubled he tried to get a shot off and tried to just bounce it down and dribble it and double dribbled to essentially lose the game for Texas yeah that was brutal what, what I've got written down here is the end of um half, end of regulation, end of overtime sequences that Oklahoma State put together. The inability to get the ball across half court. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. They had a vi they almost had a violation several times, right? They almost had a violation. In, in the first overtime, I wrote it down here, there were 12.9 seconds left. 
Oklahoma State has 12.9 seconds left to get down the floor and get a look. They barely get the ball over half court. It results in what I think was a David Mons right wing three that, that never had a prayer. <laughs> it was a complete disaster of a possession. I'm thinking to myself, well, it can't possibly get worse than that. Fast forward to second overtime, overtime number two. Again, they've got time to get the ball up the floor, to get it across midcourt, and to get a look. What do they do? They turn it over with five seconds left, and then you have to hold your breath while Kevin Durant hoists up a 22-footer and just hope that it doesn't go in as you're at the mercy of the best player in college basketball. That was brutal. Even in the third overtime, uh, that was just a special sequence for Mario Bogan. It still looked like total chaos with more than enough time, seemingly, to get the ball into the front court. The end of those of regulation and the overtime sequences, um, man, it, it was really hard to watch them try to get the ball over half court a couple times. Yeah, not, not great. I'll revisit uh, Rick Barnes in a later category as well. Uh, Fran, the Fran Frischilla Award for the broadcast team, offer our critiques to the broadcast team. Uh, I thought Dave was just throwing 100 miles an hour throughout the game. He, he matched the excitement, all the big plays. You mentioned the Eton play. But I, I want to make two – I have two notes here, Colby. Tom Dorado absolutely nails the situation going on with Sean Sutton, uh, which is also my my best unintentional comedy moment of the game. When Sean Sutton's back gives out during this game, he's literally being held up by two assistant coaches during a timeout and still like drawing up a play and like teaching each guy what they should be doing on the next play as his back is given out. And on the broadcast, Dorado notes that he slipped and fell on the ice at their coaches' show, and. You know, part of me thought, okay, maybe Sean was having some some other issues there with what we later found out. But Dorado's saying this speculating. He doesn't know if that's what's going on. And that's exactly what was reported and what Sean confirmed after the game was his back had literally started spasming out during the during the game because it lasted so long. But that's why you love listening to the local guys. They, they are with the team every single day. They know things like that. And Dorado's like, I think that's what's going on with him because he hurt his back pretty bad at the taping. I I, I hope that's what's going on. And th- that was a great note from Tom. Dave was sensational. And what I really appreciated, Colby, was, yes, Dave Hunsaker does not get excited for other plays. Like when you listen to football games, he's not going to go crazy when the other team scores a touchdown. Sometimes I'm wondering if something good even happened for the other team. He He downplays it with his style. But what I appreciated the most from him and Dorado was their appreciation for Durant as the game's playing out. They talked at length about his NBA future, uh, his game, and how well-suited it was. They they really nailed it with Durant. It really captured what a special talent we were watching throughout this game. I thought they were incredible throughout the broadcast. Maybe the biggest treat of the rewatch was that whenever I turned it on, it wasn't the TV broadcast. It was the radio broadcast. Uh, Tom was unbelievable, and Dave is just... People, I, I hope that you appreciate Dave. I, I hate to think that he's going to retire and ride off into the sunset one day and somebody else is going to be calling Oklahoma State football and basketball. He's just – he's so good. He, he's all-time um, legendarily good at this, and it, it's so cool to have him on the side of your team. Uh, I love Dave. I, I took his class where I was in college. He's one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Uh, he's one of the most intelligent guys you could ever meet. He works incredibly hard. Uh, you know, he talked to us, detailed all the work that he does throughout the week to make sure he's ready on Saturdays in football season. Uh, and he does basketball and he does baseball. And he's just, he's elite at everything that he does. Uh, so huge shout out to them. The broadcast was unbelievable. Uh, the, the critique that I would have, Carson, is that I pulled this game up on YouTube and I watched it. First off, there has to be 
not necessarily a high definition copy of this out there somewhere, but there has to be something that's not completely fuzzy where you can barely see the numbers on the jerseys. But here's my real critique. <laughs> Whoever pieced together the replay, y'all are putting graphics and replays over live action. We missed so much live action, especially in the first half of the rewatch, because as you watch this that was put together, uh, presumably 15 years ago by somebody in the Oklahoma State Athletics Department, they've got graphics just like somebody scores and they just pop up a, a David Mons graphic and he just bounces around the screen for four seconds while Dave's calling the action in the background. Well, uh, do you know do you know why that is? Because this, this broadcast that's on YouTube, it's essentially the same feed they showed on the Jumbotron. So like when Mario Bogan hits a three, it does that little like three second oh. clip of, I think that's all they had in the OSU archives was the, okay. what they recorded in, it was their in-house feed on the Jumbotron. Cause I'm, I'm with you. We didn't see the Tyler Hatch timeout situation with Sean Sutton and Bogan. Cause it was, they were showing a replay on the Jumbotron. So it, it's not essentially a TV broadcast. It's really the, the Jumbotron. Okay, that's fine then. I uh, I'm glad that you have that information because I was so confused as I was watching it. I was like, I'm like, who would put the replay over the action, and especially the play you said. That's why we didn't have a. That's why we didn't have a clock and score. We had to rely on Dave to tell us. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like making notes. Like whenever uh, Marcus Dove found out that stuff, I was like making notes of what Dave said the, the time code was since we couldn't see the clock. Yeah, that that was a good one. Um, any, any other broadcasting notes? I thought they were just awesome. And again. Tom Dorado nailing the the situation with with Sean's back was great context and because uh, we were all kind of wondering what was going on with that. Yeah, uh, they, they any, were perfect. The levels were perfect. That's a, an audio nerd. The crowd mics, all that stuff. The broadcast was was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, the moment where Squinky lived or died, and I got to think he died in this game. Colby, was it? Uh, I think he was living the high life when uh, Kevin Durant had the and one seemingly to win the game. He makes the free throw to take a one-point lead. Uh, perhaps Squinky was asleep when Eton hit the circus shot, and that that spurred OSU to victory. Uh, any other moments? Uh, Kevin Durant missing a free throw despite being an 86% free throw shooter was a moment where Squinky perhaps was uh, not showing signs of life. But uh, got to be Bo- Bogan's dagger, doesn't it? Because it looked like the game was lost even with a few seconds left. So I've Squinky died. I've got on uh, Bogan's dagger at the end. Until then, I just you you don't assume that this game's going to break Oklahoma State's way because you've seen the heartbreak enough times. But I've got a wild card for you on when Squinky lived because as I was rewatching this, there was one moment where I watched and I thought, okay. That should have been it. That should have been the moment where Squinky jumped up and bit Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State got screwed and lost the game down the stretch. Marcus Dove was already fouled out. Marcus Dove fouled out with 6.38 to go in the game. He got his fourth foul with like 14 minutes left. Sean Sutton puts him back in just under seven minutes to go. Marcus Dove was in the game about three seconds before he fouled out. So Marcus Dove essentially did not play the last 14 minutes of this game to just further emphasize how impressive it was, what they were able to do down the stretch. So you need all your guys out there, right? Squinky lived, Carson, when Byron Eton, with two minutes and 20 seconds left in this game, comes screaming down the court, runs into Connor Atchley, who flattens him on a screen, just obliterates Byron Eton on a screen. Byron Eton laying on the floor after getting just absolutely trucked by Connor Ashley. Official runs over, stands over Byron Eton, points at him and tells him that he's fouled out. In that <laughs> moment, I was like, 
oh my God, an Oklahoma State guy just got screened into oblivion and they called the <laughs> foul on him. And it was number five. And I just assumed at that point that Oklahoma State was not going to have enough guys to get it done. They ended up getting it done, but watching it back, that was the moment where I was like, Squinky, there he is. Oh my God, that's a, that that's the winner. That's that's the moment because I'm with you. Like, and Eton had a way very much like Marcus Smart that when he gets leveled, like it looks like Shawn Michaels taking a chair shot, like just sells the hell out of it. And it looked like he literally, as you said, got knocked into oblivion on the screen. That that that's definitely the winner for the moment for sure. But uh, Squinky definitely died when Bogan hit the uh, hit the dagger to win the game. Uh, best unintentional comedy moment. Again, I I don't mean to make light of back issues, but the image of Sean Sutton just and and I love Sean. He was so nice to me when I covered the team, and he just he'd come into those pressers, Colby, just so disheveled after games. He'd be sweating, his hair'd be all over the place, and that image of him like slumped over, kind of only being held up by his assistant coaches with his back problem was just it it, it was pretty funny rewatching it. I don't mean to make light of it, but it was pretty funny. No, no, it was so odd to watch. Can you imagine watching that uh, in the Twitter era? Like when Twitter's really popping like it is now? Oh, my gosh. Twitter. All the memes. <laughs> all the memes. All the memes. Uh, yeah, Coach Sutton putting the team on his back. Um, so my unintentional comedy moment, and this is what I deferred to earlier, Carson, Marcus Dove's shorts. All the shorts were just you talk about a time machine and nostalgia, but Marcus Dove's shorts specifically because Marcus Dove, <laughs> such a big dude, and he was so long. And these shorts were, they were massive. So here's what I did, Carson. I put together a list of five things that you could do with Marcus Dove's shorts from 2007. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, this is in no particular order. Number one, you could tarp the infield at old Alley P. That's the first thing that you could do with Marcus Dove's shorts. Number two, you could use them as a tent to go camping with 10 of your closest friends. That's number two. Hey, you camp out outside Gallagher wait, waiting, waiting to get a ticket. Boom. Exactly. Just use Marcus Dove's shorts. Save yourself a trip to Walmart. Uh, you could use them as a fishing net on the show Deadliest Catch. Uh, you could get a bunch of crab. You probably win the season. Uh, you could wrap yourself in them to stay warm in a harsh winter. Just keep wrapping them around yourself. You're going to be fully insulated. Uh, and then last but not least, you could use Marcus Dove's shorts. You sew the leg holes together, Carson. You could go skydiving. It would make for a perfect parachute. I was astounded uh, at the shorts from multiple players in this game, but Marcus Dove's in particular stood out to me. Yeah, Marcus Dove was another guy kind of ahead of his time in terms of like, Three and D. If he could just learn a three-point shot, he would have played in the league about ten years. But you're right. I think his frame did him did him wrong, Colby. Obviously, he's taller than Eton, but his frame being so wiry, the way he was very much built like Durant, uh, I think it made his shorts look even twice as long as they really were. Yeah, you're probably right, and that's why he fouled out. By the way, is because they wanted him to guard Kevin Durant because he was the only guy physically who could really match up. Yeah, it's hard to guard Kevin Durant. So yeah, 21 minutes played in that game for Marcus Dove, uh, and he accumulated five fouls. Elite. Elite celebration, though, for Marcus Dove, the hand gesture with the bird. That was oh, always great when he would dunk. Uh, shout out to Marcus Dove. Went to, again, I was in college this time, Colby. I, I had classes with Eton and Dove and those guys, and it, it really was a stroll down memory lane to, to watch them playing again. Uh, probably unanswerable questions. I just have one. Is this is this the night that OSU basketball, as we know it, ended in terms of national power, mm. basketball school, really the last great moment in the old barn 
because as we mentioned, way the season spiraled, they lose to Marist in the NIT at home. They lose the following year in the NIT to Southern Illinois and Sean Sutton's fired. And then the Travis Ford era starts. And here we are in 2023 and we're still kind of waiting for moments like these from OSU basketball. So probably an answerable question for me is, was this the last great moment of, of Gallagher Iba as a, as a national you know power? Yeah, it's, I, I would say it wasn't the last great moment, but for the program as a national power, you might be onto something right there. That's a good one. Uh, what I wrote down here, I kind of racked my brain about this one. I was having a tough time coming up with something. And I, I wrote down, how has officiating somehow gotten worse? And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I watched this game and I by no means thought that the officiating was good, but you look at the free throws, uh, 29 free throw shot for Texas, 28 shot for Oklahoma State. It was even on both sides, 24 fouls for Texas, 22 for Oklahoma State. Uh, only two guys fouled out in the entire game, both for Oklahoma State, despite this game going 55 minutes. I just, the game is so over-officiated now. I think that basketball, both college and NBA, thought that fans just want to see points. No matter how you get there, they just want to see points. And I'm here to tell you that there is no worse basketball game to watch than a free-throw shooting contest, and so much of basketball has turned into a free-throw shooting contest. Uh, I think that, that basketball just going to this freedom of movement stuff to where nobody's even allowed to play defense. I think that it has spoiled the product a little bit. You don't see pace quite as much like you saw in this game. Uh, so somehow I was left wondering how the officiating has gotten e even worse than it was in the mid two thousands. And it was dead. Even 29 foul, uh, foul shots for, uh, Texas, 28 foul shots for Oklahoma state. So yep. you're, I think you're, I think you totally flipped my mind on this. I just got frustrated by some of those no calls and, Gallagher, Iba, spitting venom. So that's a, that's a good one you came up with. Okay, just uh, three more categories, and we'll wrap things up. But the hottest retroactive take you wish you had in the moment, and by far mine, Colby, is I wish I had picked Texas to lose early in the NCAA tournament. I was watching a lot of Big 12 basketball. I thought Durant and his team were going to make a deep run in the tournament. I think they lost in the first or second round to you. I think the second round to USC. And... I think my my hottest retroactive take was that Texas should uh, get rid of Rick Barnes uh, because they're, he, he couldn't win with Kevin Durant and DJ Augustine and these guys, and he, and he didn't. And turns out maybe that wasn't the greatest take because he's doing really well at Tennessee, and Texas has been pretty poor since he left. But um, I should have seen it come in their early exit based on the way the coaching was playing out in this game from Rick Barnes. Yeah, no, I like that. Those are good. Uh, mine, I've got I, – I wish in the moment that I would have realized – uh, how special Mario Bogan was. And, and I wrote down here, my hottest retroactive take is that Mario Bogan is one of the most underrated Oklahoma State basketball players ever. Um, these seasons didn't come together with the high-level team success, but I think we forget that the success that they did have was propped up by some really good Mario Bogan games, and he was steady, and he was consistent. Uh, he had that bad game at Kansas, obviously, that we talked about, but you can normally count on Mario Bogan. And in this game, like, there are things that that kind of... Uh, make you a little bit legendary. And 37 and 20 against Kevin Durant does that. And, you know, K KD had 37. His was on 13 of 31 shooting. Mario Bogan was more efficient. His was on 13 of 27 shooting. 10 rebounds uh, on the offensive end, 10 rebounds on the defensive end. Mario Bogan probably not appreciated enough because they didn't have the high-level team success. Uh, so probably not appreciated enough for how good of a player he was for Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think you're right. His last year was this season, and he averaged 19 and eight, and that's 
that's like, you know, definite first team all Big 12 type numbers and borderline first team all American type numbers from a from a forward. And he, he was kind of ahead of his time too. I've talked about that a lot, but kind of an undersized big with who had a, a really good game inside the paint but could step out and shoot it like he did. Yeah, he had a lot of those long twos you referenced. And of course the game winner was from right around the three-point line. I think his foot was on the line, but uh, either way, you're, I think you're right. He's he's underrated and really had a, an epic season this year to average 19 and eight, and that that kind of flew off the screen too. That he kind of could could do pretty much whatever he wanted out there, and Texas had had not much to to say about it. Uh, Apex Mountain, whose whose career peaked at this exact moment? Some of the candidates: Mario Bogan, uh, Sean Sutton, uh, Rick Barnes, maybe. Um, you could argue that Kevin Durant definitely not. We obviously know what he's done since then. Uh, but who, who who comes to mind for you on, on Apex Mountain? Yeah, I'm Mario Bogan heavy down at the bottom of this list. It just doesn't get better than this. Just staring down Kevin Durant. Uh, he makes the play on one end, and then you go make the play on the other end to win the game. And and Mario Bogan was a great college player, but as great as he was, we talked about his size, Carson. His size just didn't work in the NBA. He, he just... He didn't, he, he was too small to be a big in the NBA. He was too big to play out on the wing. And this was kind of before positionless basketball really became a thing. Uh, he spent some time over in Germany playing professionally for a couple of years, but uh, pro basketball, his body type just didn't necessarily work there, but it worked in college. Uh, he was a great college player. And this was the apex of the mountain for Mario Bogan. How about Tyler Hatch? Got to be Apex Mountain for Tyler Hatch, right? Former walk-on turned scholarship guard. He played 33 minutes in this game as a necessity. He he only had two points, Colby. I don't know about you, but I could have sworn he hit a three at some point in this game. Um, I, I felt like he did more on the box score than he really did, but uh, I had a quote from from Sean Sutton in, in the post-game notebook in the Ocali. Quote, I was really happy for Tyler. He got to He got put in a tough situation when they weren't guarding him, especially with the fans telling him not to shoot. Uh, or sorry, with the fans telling him to shoot because they weren't guarding him, kind of like Andre Robertson in modern-day basketball. He made a great shot there late to get the basket and the foul, and I've said all along I was totally comfortable playing him. So his dad was on the coaching staff. His dad was an assistant coach. So uh, two points in the box score, Colby, but he played 33 minutes with Kevin Durant and and more than enough played his part. He actually is in the photo uh, for his his layup on the front page of the Ocali Sports page. So I think think this is Apex Mountain for Tyler Hatch. Yeah, a couple steals for Tyler Hatch in this game, a few assists. He played well, and and he was put in a tough spot late in that game. They were, I mean, Tyler Hatch was catching the ball on the left wing, and it's why it makes what Mario Bogan did even that much more impressive. They just weren't guarding Tyler Hatch at all. They were letting his defender sink down, and they just had one guy on either side of Mario Bogan, just kind of bear-hugging him. Um, so, yeah, they, they did. Oklahoma State did good late in this game to figure out a workaround around that. Uh, to allow Mario Bogan to still go out and do what he did. And Tyler Hatch did a good job playing his role uh, and not trying to do too much and hoisting up threes that, let's let's be real, probably would not have been uh, great possessions in, in this game. So, yeah, he, he was good. That's a good one. And for listeners who have, haven't seen this game or don't remember Tyler Hatch, he had the straight-up Holly D, Jersey Shore hairdo, which uh, just magnificent on the rewatch. So for, for folks who don't know Tyler Hatch is, go check it out. He's got the Poly D uh, spiked hair. So a uh, great, great moment for him and his dad, I'm sure. How about um, Sean Sutton? I think this might be the apex of, of Sean Sutton's career. They they win this game against Kevin Durant, triple OT. They're ranked inside the top 10. And really that's when the wheels fell off the rest of the year. And then he was ultimately fired, uh, you know, the, the following season after that. Yeah, it was. And, and he really, 
got the most out of his team late in this game um, without their guys, right? No Marcus Dove, no Byron Eaton in those overtimes. And in the three overtimes, which were 15 minutes, they scored one more point than they did in the 20 minutes of the second half. Uh, scored 34 points in the three overtimes, 33 points in the second half without their guys. So Sean Sutton was great on this night. Uh, and this was a, a moment for Sean. We all know how it ended up playing out. Uh, but we also all know that there's there's still a lot of love for the Suttons in Stillwater, including Sean. So um, yep. glad that he's doing well. And, you know, it didn't play out the way everybody hoped it would play out. But I still look back on this game very fondly seeing Sean Sutton over there uh, as I rewatched it. Yeah, that's a great one. Last one's an easy one. Who won the game? Who's your MVP? Uh, MVP, Carson. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I might surprise you. No, I'm just kidding. It's Mario Bogan. By a landslide. Yep, it's got to be. Uh, uh, Tyler uh, Seagraves on Twitter corrected me. I called it the Kevin Durant triple overtime game. He said it's the Mario Bogan triple overtime game. I think that's probably the best way to, to sum it up. Um, two last notes for me. Texas hadn't played a double overtime game since 1995 before this game. They hadn't played three overtimes uh, since 1961, the longest game in Southwest Conference history. Oklahoma State hadn't played more than two overtimes since 1983. So that that's just how epic this night was. That's how uh, just unpredictable it was. And really, Colby, it was a, a fun rewatch. I appreciate you joining me on uh, our first edition of Pistols Rewinding. Any, any, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, that was a lot of fun. We, we need to do another one with some other epic game. I was trying to think as I was watching this game where I would rank it in terms of all sports because all sports, I mean, I can really think of something, um, especially on, on the men's side, women's sports have become a much bigger deal. But as I was growing up, we, we watched men's sports. That's just uh, women's sports. The ascension has been great. But growing up, it was football, basketball, baseball. Um, and I think that for me, some of the epic moments in football and baseball are a little bit more recent. Um, but basketball, all of the memories are, are from 15, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and that that makes it a lot of fun to go back down these these rabbit holes and get a little nostalgic. Yeah, I think high on people's lists were the Texas A&M OSU football game in College Station in 2011 when that team really – started to go on their run to win the Fiesta Bowl. So we'll we'll put it out to some votes throughout the summer and, and do more of these because they're, they're a lot of fun to revisit, especially during the, the dog days. So, Colby, appreciate it, and uh, we'll get back with you next week. Absolutely. Great stuff. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, go Pokes.